are listening to the official podcast of Resurgence Initiatives, inspiring people to arise together. For more information, go to liveresurgence.com. Not every storm stops, right? And our, our, our default nature when it comes to storms is to pray for the storm to go away. But the storm doesn't always go away. Every storm doesn't have a good ending. And what I want to remind you of is it's intuitive to pray for God to take away the storm. But the real sweet spot of Christianity, like the real strength, like, like this book starts to make sense, this book starts to transform our lives. When we stop praying for the storm to go away and we learn how to pray for peace within the storm. Because not every book has a happy ending. On this side of eternity, well, the ultimate statistic one out of one people die, right? Life, the fragility of life is very real. But the climax of our Christian faith is not on this side of heaven, right? And so it's important that we learn to reconcile that in our own hearts. It's important that we, we understand that because it's, it's important to have a, have a posture of, of, like, of like victory. But we're also real, too, and we live in a very real world. And you can have victory in the midst of the storm that doesn't take away your victory. And I just wanted to make sure I said that and clarified that in case some of you are in a storm in the midst of it saying to yourselves, uh, you lied to us last night. I didn't lie to you. I didn't lie to you. I preached the gospel. I literally got all my notes from the Bible. <laughs> and so there's just other contexts in life as well. Um, I want to read, I'll close this uh, advance off with uh, Mark chapter 5. And so if you have Mark chapter 5 in your Bible, turn there, turn there with me. <laughs> Why don't we? Uh, Mark chapter 5, verse 21. We're going to talk about Jairus together. The story of Jairus. And it starts out like this. Jesus got into a boat again. I love boats. It's been my theme. Unintentional, by the way. But it just happened to work out that way. Praise the Lord. I live on an island. Jesus got into a boat again and went to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. And so I want, to, I want you to kind of set the scene. Um, so, so, so the boat comes in onto the shore, and as soon as the boat comes in, people have been hearing the stories of Jesus. At this point in history, people have, have heard this, of this, this guy who is going around and healing the sick, where people who, have, have, who are possessed by demons, they're, they're getting set free. New life is emerging, and, and there is something happening in the, in the, in the midst, and, and people are curious. And so as soon as this boat boat comes in, strangers start gathering, Jesus followers start gathering, and there's quite a commotion. But verse 22 says this, then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, my little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she can live. And I want to highlight perhaps the most obvious thing in the world. 
but it's extraordinarily important for us to understand this. You can be a church leader in direct proximity to Jesus and still have pain in your life. And sometimes we just assume that like, like to be a, a victorious Christian and, and to, to, to have Christ in our heart and to be a leader, a leader of many, it means that, that we have to not experience pain. And then as soon as pain comes, we're like, oh man, I must have missed something. I'm not victorious enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I must have done something wrong because this is not how it's supposed to go. Well, friends, that's just not true. Like, look at Jesus' life for a moment. You don't get a more victorious leader than him. And he died on a cross. Like, like there's something to be said about pain. Why do you feel that you're not supposed to have any? Nobody wants to experience it, I get it. But don't let that shape who you are once you start walking through it. Because verse 24 is so encouraging. That's what I love about Jesus. These first four words are some of the most powerful words in the Bible. As Jairus comes and, and pleads his heart in front of everybody, my daughter is dying. Jesus, do you care? Will you please come? Like if the rumors I've heard about you are true, would you please come to my house and lay your hands on my daughter so that she can be made well? Verse 24, Jesus went with him. Come on, somebody say, wow. <laughs> Jesus went with him. And all the people followed, crowding around him. It is to say that Jesus cares about your crisis. And we know that. We, we, we know that. But it's so easy to forget that. Especially when we're close to Jesus. I had this vision one time. And I was, I was in this, what felt like this deep, deep valley. And I was in this valley and I was looking around. All I could see was walls all around me and I was panicking. And then I didn't know what to do. And so in this vision, I, I was just calling out to God, God, where are you? Jesus, where are you? Lord, where are you? I need you. Where are you? And I'm calling out and I'm terrified and I'm panicking. And then it begins to pan out. And I begin to realize that this crack that I'm in is actually the creases in his hand. And I was so close to Jesus, yet I had no idea. And I'm sitting there saying, God, where are you? Do you even care? God, where are you? I need you in my life. And God's saying, I'm holding you in my hands. It is to say, you may not know what tomorrow holds, but you know the hand that holds tomorrow. That's not mine, but I'll pretend it is. <laughs> you don't know what tomorrow holds. But you know the hand that holds tomorrow. And there's a lot of security in that. There's security in that even when it feels very insecure. So Jesus went with him. Verse 25. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. It's kind of like, wait, 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 what? Mark, what are you trying to do? Like squish all these stories into one? Because what happens here is very interesting. There's, there's literally a pause on the story of Jairus. But, but Jairus' story actually didn't finish. We just stopped thinking about him. And this is why it's so important to, to kind of picture what's going on in these particular stories. So Jesus comes to the other side of the lake. 
right? The crowd gathers. Jairus falls to his knees. He calls on Jesus. He lets him know like the condition of his daughter. Jesus says, I will go with you. And then there's this really exciting moment as Jesus and all Jesus' disciples and Jairus specifically and all this crowd, they're walking on a mission to go see a miracle because Jesus just said in front of everybody that he's going to go heal Jairus' daughter. Well, on their way to go heal Jairus' daughter, our story gets paused. But the author doesn't start telling a different story. He starts telling the story of a different woman who's in that crowd with Jairus. There's, there's, there's two things going on at the exact same time. And it's really, really important for us to notice that. Because in the middle of your story, God is simultaneously writing someone else's story at the exact same time. And we know God is our personal God, our personal Lord and Savior. And as much as he's my personal Savior, he's also Jerry's personal Savior. And he's also Phil's personal Savior. And Stephanie's personal Savior. And each and every one of us, our stories are intersecting at the same time. And it's kind of a really beautiful, really complex and confusing, but really awesome picture of church. And how God can move in many ways, and at the same time, in one way, all in one process, one in swoop, one event. This is why advance is so exciting. Because we all come from different walks of life. We're all going back to totally different contexts, totally different churches. Your church might look nothing like advance. Maybe I've talked to some of you. Some of you don't even have a church right now. And you're kind of going back to, to just normal life. And we're going back to different worlds. But it doesn't take away what God is doing right now in you. And just because God's working in someone else's life doesn't mean he's not working in your life. Verse 26. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them. She had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she, so she came up behind him through the crowd, and she went up to him, and she touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. And she could feel her body. She could feel it inside of her that she had just been healed of this terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing had gone from out of his body. So he turned around into the crowd and he asked, who, who touched my robe? Now, it's, it's like extraordinarily important for us to understand that, that Mark is narrating this to us as the listener. But in this particular event, this wasn't like a real-time narration where everybody understood what was taking, on, taking place in this moment. Jairus. Will you heal my daughter? Jesus says, yes. Everybody hears this. Everyone's excited to go see a miracle. Everyone is en route to go to Jairus' house. Nobody knows this woman exists. Nobody knows anybody just touched Jesus' robe. Everybody is pressing in on Jesus. They're en route to heal Jairus' daughter. Jesus stops the procession and says, uh, somebody just touched me. Now, to everybody watching, that's an extraordinarily insensitive thing for Jesus to say. In fact, verse 31, his disciples look at him. 
says, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? Undoubtedly seeing Jairus in the corner of their eye, thinking to themselves, uh, Jesus, like, like we're busy here and you're gonna stop because somebody touched you? Like you're the Messiah, like you're the savior of the world. Like, like come on, man, act the part. And I can't help but picture Jairus in that moment. As Jairus is sitting there, totally wasn't wearing a watch, but I imagine him wearing a watch. Looking at his watch. My, my, my daughter's dying. And you're, you're concerned because somebody just touched you? Like, like, like we should be running there. Like, like actually, who cares about all these other people? Like, like, like who cares if somebody touched you? My need is extraordinarily important. Like, like can't you see that? Like, what's going to happen to me? And he's sitting there trying to keep a smiling face on because he doesn't want to do anything to push Jesus away because he's thinking, this is my last hope. Verse 32. But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Like, Jesus didn't just casually say, hey, somebody touched my robe. Like, he stopped everything. Where is she? Somebody touched me. Who was it? And the, the, the emotion, the awkward tension, like, like that, that moment would not have been a picturesque, pristine, kind of advanced worship service kind of moment. <laughs> like like it, would have been, it would have been so awkward. Who touched me? We're not going until I find out. And Jairus is thinking, somebody come on, tell him who touched you. <laughs> right? Like somebody, have a heart. Did you bump into him? Just tell him. But he kept on looking around to see who had touched it, who had done it. Then the frightened woman, terrified in this moment, trembling at the realization of what just happened to her. She came and she fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, daughter, not his biological daughter, spiritual daughter daughter your faith has made you well go in peace your suffering is over see it's important for us to understand that Jesus isn't obsessed with curating and facilitating miracles and sometimes we kind of assume he is like, like, we just assume Jesus is just obsessed. He's just driven. He's just got, he just curates and facilitates miracles. That's all he does. But what he's obsessed with is people. He's obsessed and cares about people. And he cares about the whole story, not just particular events. And that's why it's important to him that this lady didn't just walk away healed. It's important that she knew that he saw her as daughter. It's important that she knew that there was more than just a physical healing, but a spiritual healing that just took place, that she was accepted before Jesus. Verse 35. And this is where things get so real. While, while he was still speaking to her, messengers from Jairus' home came. And the leader of the synagogue, they came to talk to him. 
And they told him, Jairus, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. Think about what just happened. Just, just picture this for a moment. While on his way to go help Jairus, Jesus stopped to help someone else. And while he was busy helping someone else, Jairus' daughter died. How do you process that? How do you respond when God does something in someone else's life that you asked to have done in your own? How do you respond when you feel let down or unprioritized or overlooked or ignored by God? Because that's going to happen. And maybe you're here, and maybe this is your story. And maybe you feel angry inside. And there's this kind of anger inside of you. This frustration that God seems to keep ignoring you. Ignoring your position, your prayers. Maybe it's jealousy. And you're jealous when, when, when God answers somebody else's prayers and not yours. There's something inside of you. You you don't like it about you, but but if you're going to be honest, it's there. And when you see God moving on someone else's life, and He's not moving on your life, there's this kind of this kind of like like what well, what the heck, God? You feel forgotten, and it causes you to wonder: Is there maybe something wrong with me? Like like is there something going on here, Lord? You're confused. I thought you loved me, and if you love me, why, why do you not care about me? So therefore you start maybe feeling punished? Do you just, just not care? Is it something that I did? And, and, and you ask these very real questions, and these questions aren't generally questions you raise your hand up with. And say, hey, this is what I'm going through. These are the kind of silent questions that we walk through life with. That, that, that kind of eat us on the inside. Because you can still worship and have these, these, these hurts. You can still pay and come to advance and you can still experience God and still have this question inside of you that's like, hey God, that was cool what you did this weekend. But what's going on here? Like, like what about me? Like it's really, really awesome. Praise the Lord that you touched their life. But what about my situation? It's really, really awesome that all these storm stories that like, like you can calm the storm. Like you redhead, you know this story. You know that Jairus' daughter doesn't die. And you're sitting there thinking to yourself, it's really, really awesome, God, that, that, that you come in and rescue. But you didn't rescue me. And you didn't rescue my, my situation. What's the deal with that? And they're very real questions. While he was speaking to her, men come. They tell him, your daughter is dead. There's no, no use troubling the teacher now. Verse 36. Jesus overheard what was just said to them, what was just told to Jairus. And he responds to Jairus by saying two things. Don't be afraid. Just have faith. 
which is actually super interesting because that's the same thing that he was saying to the disciples in the boat. Don't be afraid. Why are you afraid? Where's your faith? And I can't help but picture the disciples watching this moment because they had just experienced that storm calming moment. And here Jesus is, he, he recites the same advice. Don't be afraid. Just have faith. If you can relate to Jairus, listen to Jesus this morning. Don't be afraid. Just have faith. But let's be honest, okay? And this is what I hope you get from me <laughs> this week. I'm not going to be the most educated and most spiritual person you've ever heard at your resurgence events. But my goal is always to be the most authentic person I can be and the most honest person I can be. And it is really easy to have faith that God heals. But it's really hard to have faith that God heals me. Right? It's easy to have faith that God loves people. It's a lot harder to have faith that God loves you, that God loves us, that God loves me as a person, as, as, as one. It's easy to have faith that God will, will move and, and advance us this weekend. It's easy to have faith that God will touch us this weekend. It's harder to have faith that God will touch me. It's easy to have faith that, God, that people will come and leave different than the way that they came. It's harder to have faith that I have come and that I will leave different than the way that I came especially when we see him answering other people's prayers. So what did Jesus mean? Don't be afraid, just have faith. Well, don't be afraid that God doesn't care, that God is ignoring you, and that God is real. Have faith that God does care, that he isn't ignoring you, and that he is real. touched on this yesterday. Why do we assume that the hard, that hardship means the absence of God? It doesn't mean God's not there. It just means you can't see him. Those are two different things. Verse 37. Jesus stopped the crowd. Which is really interesting. Just stops all this commotion, all the fanfare. And he's like, listen, everybody, just, just, just stop. Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus, um, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and he asked, why all this commotion? Why all this weeping? The child isn't dead. The child is asleep. And my question for you this morning, and I believe the question, I believe it's God asking you this question. Is it possible that what you thought was dead and hopeless is actually sleeping and alive? Is it possible that your perspective has been jaded or skewed? 
And that what you thought was dead and hopeless actually is just alive and sleeping. Is it possible that God might be writing a larger narrative, a larger story in your life than you are currently aware of? That yes, certain aspects don't make sense. Yes, certain aspects you would never have written into your story. But if you back up, if you pan out, you will see that, 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 that something bigger is going on here. Something that we can't fully grasp on this side of heaven. Is it possible that right in the middle of your story, God inserted someone else's story, not to discourage you, but to show you that God heals people? That God works in people. And if he can do it in them, he can do it in you. Verse 40, the crowd laughs at him. Classic human move. So human. Jesus walks in. Everyone's freaking out. Commotion, crying, tears, everything. Snot, gross. They're horrible. They're, 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 just, they're, they're, they're distraught. This, this girl has just died. Jesus has just let them all down. Jesus tells them he has the audacity. <laughs> She's not dead. She's asleep. What? You're supposed to be Jesus? That's your advice? That's, what, that's, that's, your, that's your line? You're going to walk in here? You're going to bring hope and comfort to everybody by telling us that this dead girl's actually just sleeping? <laughs> this is ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And what I've learned in life, what I've learned from my own skepticism, is that it's easier to doubt than it is to believe. Because skeptical is safe. Because skeptical creates margin, <laughs> creates margin for error. And if I can, just, if I can just, just doubt it, and it's like, oh, it's easier for me to doubt that Jesus can actually do anything. It's easier for me to, to be skeptical of it. It's easier for me just to, just to laugh at this whole concept of God being a good God. Because that way I don't have to get let down. And that way I don't have to risk. And that way I don't have to feel hardship or pain. But he made them all leave, it says. I love that. Well, you're going to laugh at this? We'll get out of here. He made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and the three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. Sweetie, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. And they were overwhelmed and, and, and totally amazed. Talitha kum. Is there something inside of you that is asleep? Talitha kum. Little girl. Little boy. Wake up. Get up. Can I have just Karis come back and play on that keyboard there? This whole idea of waking up is an interesting concept. 
And if you're anything like me, I come to these retreats, these advances for a, a spiritual awakening. I want, I want God to awaken something inside of me. Even as the communicator, I came here saying, God, wake me up. I, I want to hear from you. I want to receive from you, God. God, wake me up. And it's really easy to romanticize and, and, and spiritualize this process. But I have four kids. And I'm going to tell you that waking people up is not a romantic process. I walk into my kid's room oftentimes armed with a pillow. It's my favorite tool. Anderson, wake up. Benson, time to get up. Thomas, they got bunk beds on both sides. They got all three of them in one room. It's just like boom, boom, boom. It's pretty awesome. And there's nothing really beautiful about that moment. But more specifically, from their vantage point, not just me as like the turd dad whapping them with pillows. See, oftentimes what'll happen is they'll be like, Dad, I'm awake. Leave me alone, I'm awake. They get grumpy. I'm awake. And it's easy to romanticize the awakening process as this magical experience. The truth is, waking up, this awakening that we long for, that we seek after, waking up is often uncomfortable and awkward. And more about physical, uh, a physical change of posture than a personal revelation. Is it possible you came to advance and you're already awake and God's not saying wake up God's saying get out of bed because you're awake and you've been praying for God to awaken something inside of you God waken me and God's like you are awake you're alive you're just in your bed and you're comfortable. Get out and start living. You're looking for a miracle. God's just looking for movement. Like you're, what, are you, what are we waiting for sometimes? I ask myself, I say, Adam, what are you waiting for? Do you want a, a spiritual hand to come through the ceiling so I can hold it and walk out of my room and say hello? I am Christ-filled, spirit-filled, anointed by God. And everywhere I go, he goes. Is that what we're waiting for? Or is God like, Talitha Kum, little girl, get up. And now you go live life. Would you stand to your feet? I'd like to pray for you. we'll do it like this could you put your hand on the shoulder on the person on your right and we're going to pray for the person on your right and then right after don't worry all of you people over here don't worry Phil don't worry because we're going to pray for the person on our left right after you got a chance you got a chance okay we're going to return the favor this is a double prayer ready 
Holy Spirit. Lord, we need you. And I'm so thankful that you are here with us. I'm so thankful that you brought us here into your presence, that you brought us here, assembled us as resurgents here for this advance. And I'm so thankful that we're not just here by ourselves. And Father, right now we pray for the person on our right. And we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would awaken something inside of them, Lord God. The Father, that not only would you awaken them, but God, that you would make them aware that they are actually awake. That they're not in a coma, but God, they are awake. And they are aware, and they are here, and they are alive, and they have been placed here on this earth for such a time as this. Father, I pray that you would renew faith, that you would restore passion, that you would restore everything that the enemy has tried to steal from them. God. You have equipped them. You have infilled them. God, you are here and you are planning to use them in ways that they never thought possible, Lord. So I just pray, Father, that you would bless them, that you would anoint them, that you would release them, God. And I pray, Father, that they would stop waiting for a move of God and recognize, as Stephen Furtick said, that they are a move of God. That, Jesus, that you would use them to reach the lost, that you would use them to reach their family members, their neighbors, the people. Would they stop waiting for someone else and recognize that they are who you say they are. They're child of God, son and daughter of Christ. The God, you are real. You've anointed them and you are using them, Father. So Lord, we thank you. And Lord, we go to pray for the person on our left. And Lord, we pray and we return that favor. We thank you for what you're doing inside of their heart. And we thank you, Lord, that they just prayed for us. But right now, Father, we pray that you would release them. God, that they would advance in terms of whatever that means for them in this season. That they would advance. That they would take your kingdom further, Lord God. So, Father, I pray that you would help them to do that. That they would understand that moving in the Christian realm isn't glamorous. That you would help them to be uncomfortable. That you would help them to look to you for identity, for courage, for strength, for purpose, for value. God, that they wouldn't look to the world for these things. That they wouldn't look to relationships for these things. But they would look to you and you alone. That they would see themselves the way that you see them, Lord God. So, Father, I pray and we pray collectively that you would break their hearts for the lost, that you break their hearts for the things that break yours, and that you would help them, Lord, help them, Lord, to recognize this very simple fact that you have placed them here because you want them here. Lord, you want them as who they are, not a different version of them, not a someone else version of them, but you knit them for such a time as this. So, Father, we pray that you would bless them, protect them, guard the hearts, keep them safe. We thank you for what you've done in the past. We thank you for what you've done here this weekend. But in Jesus' name, we pray in faith for what you're going to do in their hearts and through their lives in these months, days, years to come. We bless you, Lord, and we bless this person. In your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the official podcast of Resurgence. For more information, go to liveresurgence.com.